real, real joy to be here tonight. Just want to thank you for the invitation as well as uh, just a joy to be here. I don't know if you, I'll tell you a story about Roland since he's standing up here. Nine years ago, I was called to be the pastor in Fuller. Uh, I had uh, was working in Alabama, and the Lord had opened some doors, and so I was eager to come to Fuller, but the timing was a little off. I can remember telling Roland I'd love to come, but I can't come in February, and Roland said, you come in February or you don't come at all. That might seem out of character for Roland, but that's I promise that's what he said. Uh, it's been a great joy over the last couple of years uh, to labor there. And I just want to thank you because I know you've been faithful to pray for us uh, and to support us even financially in those early years. Uh, the Lord's done a good work. Uh, we have we've moved four times. We've seen people convert and we've seen people mature in their faith. Uh, last year was probably the hardest year of ministry we've ever had. Uh, and yet God's been faithful and gracious to us. And uh, so just be encouraged. The Lord is at work there, even as I find great joy and courage in, in, uh, encouragement in finding out what he's doing here as well. So the church in Fuller uh, greets you with great joy tonight. Luke chapter 18 is our text today. Luke 18, look at verses 1 through 8, uh, the parable of the persistent widow. Here's my hope tonight, very simply put, that you would see prayer not as a burden, but as an opportunity. Not something that weighs you down that you have to do, but an opportunity that the Lord gives us that you, that you get to do. An opportunity to run to the presence of Almighty God, a gracious God, and make our petitions known. To spend time with Him and to enjoy His presence. And so tonight, the opportunity, uh, rather than a burden, then we'll, we'll build from there. That opportunity in the morning to confess our sins, as we'll see. Or tomorrow night, an opportunity to pray for others. What does that look like? Or what should that look like as we pray for other people? Sunday morning, an opportunity to plead for the expansion of the gospel through, through the church. And so we'll think about praying in that way. And then finally, Sunday night, an opportunity to pray for ourselves. The Lord Jesus encourages us to do that. And so we'll, we'll consider what that would look like as well. So tonight, Luke chapter 18, to see prayer not as a burden but an opportunity, an opportunity to communicate with a gracious God, uh, the King of all creation. Let's read Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, the inspired and errant and fallible word of God, our only rule of faith and practice. And he, that's Jesus, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray before we begin to study the passage. Gracious God, we pray you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. That we might understand the privileges uh, that you've given us in Christ, even the specific teaching of Luke chapter 18. And that you might change us by your word. So be gracious this night, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Jesus tells them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. I want you to understand Jesus understands our struggles. I'm I'm grateful that he sees into our heart and he knows the the challenges that we have, even challenges with regard to to praying. Your your boss might not see those, your efforts that you're putting forth, or uh, family members might might not see the struggles of your heart and might just kind of run over you with their expectations. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus is being gracious here, saying, I understand where you are, and therefore my desire is to, to encourage you, to build you up, not just to commend prayer, but to build you up so that you understand what God has in mind in this regard. And why do we struggle with prayer? There are a lot of reasons, and we'll, we'll study a number of them over the, the weekend as we progress through, but surely one of them is just our attitude about prayer in the first place. That we would oftentimes see prayer as a burden. A prayer as simply duty. Simply obligation. We take prayer, and you can say other spiritual disciplines as well, to take those spiritual disciplines and see them as a, as a burden that God places upon our shoulders rather than an opportunity He gives us. And so in that way, our, our very first step can be wrong. Looking down and seeing the requirement, the duty, the desires, our, our attitude towards prayer might be like my, my children's attitude towards making their own bed. If you had kids, you understand this. To say, you ought to make your bed. And they're going to say, I've been doing fine on these sheets all week long. Why change them now? And yet here we begin to see, just even our own hearts, we begin to think through that. God has given us this opportunity to pray, to be in his presence. And to test your own hearts, think of it this way. We, we believe in salvation by faith alone. We, we understand justification by faith alone. It's not my deeds that make me right with God. It's not my deeds that keep me right with God. We understand that. But then in our practice, in our Christian walk, we, we fall back so easily into the sense of trying to do things to keep God happy or realizing that if I have failed in that way, then all of a sudden God's going to be overly mad at me. When we take prayer like a duty, I'm trying to stay on this performance treadmill to keep him, to keep him pleased with me. And so what happens then is we begin to, this pattern of I'm on this treadmill, I see I'm failing, and now I'm, I'm all the less encouraged to spend time in prayer. I, I might try it for a season, I might try to keep up, and yet guilt over prayer is a very poor motivator. Guilt works short-term, you understand, but it doesn't work long-term. After a while, you just throw your hands up and you say, what's the use? I'm just, I'm just going to give up. And so here we find uh, examples that are supposed to encourage us, and yet even then they become discouraging to us. Ian Bounds, in one of his writings, talks a lot about uh, examples of people who are devoted in their prayer life. He'll speak of a Methodist minister who practically lived his life his life on his knees, praying as much as five hours a day. Or another man who prays about four hours a day. Another man he spoke about who says his goal every day was to spend two hours in prayer before they broke camp. So if they're leaving at six, he got up at four to pray. Or another man who said his goal was to spend an hour and a half with the Lord in Bible study and prayer. So he got up at six or 6.15 to get into a half an hour of time with his family in family prayer before he left. And you hear those examples from him, and you say, on one hand, you can say, what devotion. 
Or then you could say, I will never be at that point, so what's the use to even try? I don't don't want to do that. Do I have to do that? So oftentimes our first step is wrong. The idea of praying without ceasing simply becomes, it becomes guilt without ceasing. Because I'm so weighed down by the whole thing. And then after that, I'm showing myself that I am looking at prayer as a burden rather than an opportunity. So my first encouragement to you today, first thought this evening is simply this. How do you view prayer? Have you rocked back into that, that almost works righteousness of this is something I have to do? Or, as we'll see in Luke 18, do you see it as an opportunity? A door that God has opened up whereby we can walk into his presence. That's the first thing I want you to see. It's, it's not a burden but an opportunity. We'll develop that as we go through the passage. But let me say, because the scriptures compel us to say, that prayer is commanded. The moment I tell you that prayer is not to be seen primarily as a duty but an opportunity, some of you might say, well, great, I can, I can take advantage of that opportunity if I want and, if, and when I want and for as long as I want and if I want to. And if I don't, then that's fine. But understand, prayer is commanded. Jesus will say, Matthew 26, verse 41, Watch and pray. You may not enter t- into temptation the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul commands prayer as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. It's a, it's a plain command to all men everywhere. So long as they are uh, alive, the command to us, no matter where you live, no matter what age, we are commanded to pray. Or again, Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. God has commanded you to pray. I don't want you to leave here today and say, well, if I feel like it, I'll get around to it. It's a command. But notice what's happening in Luke chapter 18. Why Jesus could come to you, to his disciples, and therefore to us as well, and say, pray, it's the command, pray. He does more than that. He not only commands us to pray, he also encourages us to pray. That's where I want to spend our time tonight. It is a command. It's also... Christ encourages us in that way. He'll condescend to us, as it were. He'll understand our own hearts that we struggle. Even if he's looking at his disciples and watching them struggle, say, I want them to to pray and not lose heart in this. And so there are a number of encouragements that he'll give uh, to say it's it's worth persevering. It's worth plowing ahead. And so, so what are those encouragements? Work through Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He tells them a parable to the effect they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And then he begins his enticing or his, his persuading, his holding out reasons why. Verses 2 and 3. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And so if we're going to understand any parables, we have to understand, well, who is he talking about in the parable? We begin to kind of work that out. So the the parable of the prodigal son, you're thinking, okay, there's this righteous brother and this unrighteous brother, two types of people, and the father is like God. Then you come to Luke 18, and you say, well, who represents whom? Well, there's the widow. That would represent the disciples, the one who, who need to keep coming and pray. And then you have this judge. This becomes kind of the remarkable part, because in some ways the judge must be 
like God himself. And in some ways it doesn't sound like God, but you have the, the two parties, the one asking and the one receiving. And so you start working through the parable closely. And so we find at the end of the story, of course, Jesus is going to argue from the lesser to the greater. If an unjust judge will listen, how much more will a just judge listen? But notice the parable. The widow is coming to an unjust judge, and she's pleading for help. Has a great need. Uh, She's been oppressed unjustly. We don't know the exact reason why, but she's coming and coming again to seek relief. And so she's going to authority. She's a widow. So she's weak. She has, uh, she's vulnerable. She could be poor. She has no husband to speak on her behalf. And so she's going to her only source of hope, this judge, the only one who can help her. And so we are like that widow. Uh, and God is like this judge. She is our source of hope. And she's coming over and over again in a sense of such as the judge would to get her off of his back says, I'll answer her prayer. Now, let me just sort of pause and say, before you work it all out, it's not as if Jesus is not saying, if you can wear out an unjust judge, maybe you can, un- you can wear out God. It's not exactly where he's going. The idea is the comparison. To understand this passage, you have to understand there is a massive difference between this judge and your God. And the more you understand the differences between this judge and, the more, and your God, the more encouragement you're going to find in this parable. God is very different. And I can prove that. Verse 2, we see about the unjust judge. He neither feared God nor regarded man. That same line is repeated in verse 4. The judge says, though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet I will vindicate him. And so there's this obstacle in the way of the widow. What is it? He doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. It seems to me that the fear of God would make him inclined to want to help a widow. He doesn't have that fear of God, and therefore he doesn't want to do it. And so you begin to say, well, how is he different? Well, God's heart is very different than this judge's heart. If this, was, if this was God, he would be inclined to hear her. If this was God, he would pursue her, actually, in her need. And so we see this difference beginning to, to work itself out between this judge and God himself. If a judge who has no fear of God, no real concern for widows, if he can be swayed, how much more can the God whose heart is for the poor and the weak and the needy and the orphan and the widow, how much more will that God be inclined to hear our prayers when we make them known? And yet notice this woman. Think of the, the, the burn that must have been on her. Time and time again. What did she have to do? Go into the presence. Of a man who didn't hear a thing about her. Go into the presence of a person who had no regard for her request. Go into her, so at the end of the day, doesn't, isn't moved of heart because of her needs, but because of his own needs. Because he's tired of being bothered. Every day he, she has to go, uh, or every time has to go in this very unpleasant experience and be around this man for a certain season of time. And yet she does it because her needs are great. And when you understand the, what, what has to happen to this woman, what she has to go through every time, you begin to understand something of the encouragement that Jesus is giving to this woman, and therefore to you. For there's a tremendous contrast between what she has to do and we get to do. 
And the encouragement is this. We're not walking in prayer into the presence of an unjust judge who has no regard for our state. We're walking into the presence of a gracious God who loves us in Christ. It's the opportunity. It's the encouragement. It's the first one I want you to see, that prayer is an opportunity to be with God himself, to go into his presence with all his gracious character, with all that he's promised us, all that he's done for us, all that he wants to do for us. We get to go and be with him. Now, yes, he is, the, he is holy, and therefore we, we dare not go into his presence without having been cleansed in the blood of Christ. He's the King of kings, and therefore we go into his presence with, with fear and trembling, with reverence and a, a heart of submission. But we go into his presence knowing he's our Heavenly Father, who has done everything we need to be right with him. And so you begin to understand this, this encouragement. What is he like? He's not like that judge. It's not that he doesn't care for us. He has blessed us and poured out every spiritual blessing upon us from the, from the heavenly realms. And now says, come, be with me. Think of the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I can hear my girls saying, Dad, do I have to go to school today? Right? That's not the heartbeat of the psalmist. Do I have to go into the temple today? He says, one thing I ask for, one thing I desire, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. That's His heart. I get to be with God. I get to enjoy His presence. I get to inquire. I get to gaze. I get to, I get to interact with Him. Well, what an encouragement. To us to begin to say, how am I looking at this? Do I understand the joy and the privilege that is before me? The psalmist wants to be with the Lord. He's considered the matter, understands the, the worth and the beauty and the glory of his God and says, that's the only place I want to be. All the days of my life, right there with him. And so how different a story Luke 18 would have been if the widow would have known the judge. Or if the judge would have cared about the widow. How different a story that would be. And so if our story is that different story. Be encouraged, O Christian. Those who have been cleansed in the blood of Christ. Those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. You have this door opened by a gracious judge. Who now says, I'm your heavenly father. Come because I'm inclined to hear you. And bless you every day. So that's the first encouragement. Prayer is an opportunity to be with God himself. Here's the second. We find it in verses 4 and 5, that God responds to the prayers of his people. I want you to see that encouragement. God responds to the prayers of his people. Verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. At the end of the day, even this unjust judge responds to the plea of the widow. And the message is very clear that while ultimately God determines the future, yet nevertheless, a factor in all of that is the persistence of the prayers of God's people. Now, I know that's where it gets really tough, where those two points meet. But over and over, it's very, it's very clear. Jesus is giving them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And what does he point at with regard to this woman? She prayed and prayed and prayed. That her persistence is not the final factor, it's not the ultimate factor, but it is a factor. So God comes to us and says, you ought to always pray and not lose heart. That I'll be looking, I'll be watching, and I respond to the prayers of my people. Just think for a moment about the way in which God has worked throughout redemptive history. He might not always answer the way we pray, but he always responds. Think of the the ways in which history is different, the Bible says, because people are praying and God's responding. And he shows us over and over again the, the victories that were won, the lives that were changed, the difference that was made because of, because of the power of praying and ultimately the power of our God to respond to those prayers. It seems in the Bible nothing is too hard to be overcome if God moves in his heart for his people to pray and they respond. Nothing is too hard. Things have changed in remarkable ways. It was praying in the act of prayer, that the Red Sea is parted, right? It's in the act of praying that water comes forth from a rock and bread comes down from heaven. It was praying that fire comes from, from heaven and falls upon Elijah's sacrifice. It's praying that overthrew the army of Sennacherib. Now, of course, God's at work with all these things, but he, he's using this means. And so we, we find... Even Queen Mary of Scots saying, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than a, an army of 10,000 men. Why? Because that's a God-ordained means of changing things. He, he, we pray, and he responds. Or even, I know you're probably familiar with the, Augustine's mother who prayed faithfully for, for, her, for him for years and years despite his running. There's a story told that an older Christian lady spoke to Augustine's mother years before and reminded her this. The child of many prayers shall never perish. And she took that to heart and she prayed and prayed and, and God responded. And so we begin to think carefully about the way in which God has taught us throughout the years. He'll tell Moses in Exodus 33, leave me alone. As Moses is pleading for, for God's people. Pleading over and over again. Or even think of Abraham and the the whole occasion of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham is pleading with God. And so long as he's pleading, God didn't send down judgment upon them. And the moment he stopped pleading is when the judgment came. Ultimately, God's going to do what God's going to do. But a factor, surely, a factor is going to be the persistence of our prayers. And so think for a moment about what the Lord might be burning your heart these days to pray for. He may be burning your heart waiting for you to be changed and transformed, waiting for you to, to begin to persistently pray for something and then to respond to that prayer. Maybe he's burning your heart to pray for the conversion of certain friends or family and then 
having worked in your heart, creating a greater dependence in your heart, then, then he'll respond. Maybe burning your heart to pray for the spiritual maturity of those around you. And then he'll respond to that. It is the way the, Lord's, the Lord works. And Luke 18 is making that very clear. She prayed and prayed. She pled and pled. And in that, Jesus commends her. He says, look at what she's doing. And therefore, we have to walk away from that saying, it's God's call upon our life. Not only to be told to pray, commanded to pray, and to pray in a persistent fashion, but this encouragement, I am for those kinds of prayers. I am for them. You pray and pray and pray. I'm going to shape you along the way. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to care for you in responding to your prayers. The final encouragement comes in this. Not only is it good news that God is not like this judge, but there's, more, there's, even, uh, there's another glorious news in that we're not like that widow. Now, in some sense, we're commended. Uh, this widow is being commended to us. Even if she's persistent, even if she pled and pled with him, she keeps pounding on the door, as it were, uh, and, and we are to do the same. We're to be like her in that way, yet understand we are profoundly different than this widow. The widow would be alone. The widow would be by herself, as it were. And yet think of us in our condition. Who are, who are we spiritually? We're his elect. We're his children. And he points that out even in this parable. Look at verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, to, said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You and I are not widows. You and I are elect children of God. And so we, we're looking at this passage, begin to think through verse 2 and verse 4. The judge is described as one who does not fear God, nor has any regard for man. And so this widow comes to him, and if, if the widow would have been the judge's mom, for instance, or sister, for instance, he would have been inclined to help her. But there's no relation. There's no connection between the two. And therefore, who is this woman to the judge? And yet we see towards the end here, Jesus is explaining the nature of our relationship with our God. He uses that beautiful phrase, uh, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Does God not have regard for us? Is God indifferent to us? The answer is no. God has placed his favor upon us. God has been gracious to us. We say, despite that one's unworthiness, and despite that one's unworthiness, nevertheless, I choose them to be my children. I choose that one, though they don't deserve it. Yet nonetheless, I will make them mine. That's my son. That's my daughter. And so we begin to understand there's a, there's a relationship we have with this, with this judge, with this one with whom we are pleading. It's a wonderful relationship. It's one that we would have never had apart from ourselves. You think about it, if our relationship with God is based upon how well we are doing, then I can lose that just as quickly as I can gain that. And so every prayer would be, I wonder if I am good enough for this God. I wonder if he's inclined today to hear my prayer. After all, he probably knows what I've been thinking and doing all day long. 
that that's the foundation of our relationship, every prayer would be like a shot in the dark, not knowing whether or not he's inclined today or not to hear me. But here's the encouragement. As his elect, we have a favored status. As his elect, we understand we, we belong to him. By his grace, by his electing grace, he's made us his of no value within us, of no merit within us. We belong to him. And therefore today, I'm not wondering, does he love me? I know he does. Because it's not based on my performance. It's not based upon how good or how bad I have done. He loves me in Christ. And so I begin to work through this and say, I am his elect. He has chosen me. He set his favor upon me. He's adopted me as his child. If he is for me, who can be against me? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. And therefore today, though I know I have sinned, and we'll talk about that in the morning, though I know I'm a sinner, first and foremost, I'm his elect. And as his child, he will hear my cry. You as moms and dads, you can have a room full of kids, and you know which voice is the, is the voice of your child when they cry, right? You just know it. Here he says it. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? He'll say, that's my child crying. That's my son pleading. I hear him. And of course, we live in a, in a, in a day where there are lots of people who would uh, object to election or they would get uh, mad about it and so forth. There's some who would take it and try to make it a, a license to, to sit. If I'm elected, does it matter? What does it matter that I do? Those of us who understand this truth, of no merit of my own, my Heavenly Father chose me in Christ, made me His own, sent His Son to die for me, sent His Spirit to convict me of sin or bring me to Himself, I am His. Go the next step and say, because of that, because I'm His elect, because I'm His child, because He's my Heavenly Father, I know He'll hear me. How encouraging that is to my heart that because of the work of God, I am His. And therefore, it is God himself who has inclined his ear my way to hear my prayers. I remember some years ago, I had two daughters. I remember my youngest coming into, uh, sitting at the breakfast table one morning. And she began to tell, in great detail, about the, 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 uh, the nightmare she had the night before. And she said she was laying in bed, long time crying. I said, Catherine, why? Why didn't you wake me up? And she said, Dad, I just didn't want to bother you. Catherine, you you are my daughter. I'd have done everything I humanly speaking could have done to wake you up and to care for you and to meet your needs in that moment. And she said, with the faith of a child, next time I'll wake you up. (laughs) This is the opportunity we have. Though you might have seen prayer as a burden, though you might have been faithless to some degree in your prayer life, to be reminded today that to pray is to be in the presence of God, to enjoy that, and to be to be with God Almighty. You, to, you've been reminded tonight that to pray is the means which God says, I'll respond. Here's this widow. And to be reminded that you know He will hear your prayers, because He's made you His child you are his elect. Will he not hear the cries of his, of his children? And so with that in mind, it's only good and right to run to him and to thank him for this very privilege 
and to pray to our Heavenly Father saying, Today, I know you're inclined to hear me. For in faith I pray, thank you, O Lord, for this privilege. Let's pray tonight. O Lord, you're gracious, even teaching us through this passage. Uh, We pray that we would find ourselves tonight uh, not as widows on our own, but as children of God with this wonderful privilege before us. How gracious you are to us in Christ. How gracious you continue to be, not just on the cross, but every day giving us this means by which we can communicate with the God of all creation. Incline your ear, O Lord, and we can pray that in faith because you've told us you are inclined. So would you hear us as we pray and incline us all the more to pray to you, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.